Hello and welcome to the Ice Guys, brought to you by the National Hockey Now Network. This is the show that takes you into the world of the National Hockey League. Every game, every day, from a betting perspective. With pro sports handicappers, Ian Cameron, Alex Beatsman, and various guests from the world of hockey and sports betting. And now, here's your host, Ian Cameron. Welcome to the Ice Guys, presented by National Hockey Now, Tuesday, May the 9th. It is Ian Cameron with you. Uh, Alex B. Smith, my colleague, uh, is uh, traveling back home to Chicago uh, today, so uh, he won't be on. He'll miss a couple shows this week, and he was really, really frustrated he missed today's show as a Blackhawks fan, knowing that we have a former Chicago Blackhawk joining us here on the uh, show today. And you see him on screen right now if you're watching on uh, YouTube. Uh, Happy to have former NHLer. Jason Williams joining us, uh, Detroit Red Wings for four seasons, five seasons, Chicago Blackhawks for a couple, Atlanta Thrashers when they were still in existence before they moved to Winnipeg, Jackets, another tour of duty with the Red Wings, the Dallas Stars, the Pittsburgh Penguins, and then outside the NHL, Embry Piotta uh, in Switzerland, uh, a couple stints in the AHL, some German leagues, and even in my little town of Dundas here uh, in the uh, Ontario Senior A uh hockey so jason williams has really been the hockey roadmap uh really for uh his entire career and uh happy to have jason on the show jason it's a uh, it's great to have you uh, thanks for joining us yeah, well again thanks for thanks for having me i appreciate it yeah absolutely um wow where to, to begin obviously we detroit because you started there you had so many good years and played with so many great players there uh obviously pavel dotsuk henrik zetterberg uh, Nicholas Lidstrom, hell, Chelios was still playing uh, in the NHL too for some period of time when you were there. Uh, the Mule, Johan Franzen. I mean, it goes on and on how many good players there were on those Detroit Red Wings teams. I'm sure it was a great period of your uh, NHL career, those Red Wings seasons, right? Yeah, you know, I was very fortunate to, I think, to to start my career in Detroit and to, like you said, to learn from such great players. You know, like you listed. Uh, um, you know, Brennan Shanahan, Steve Eiserman, Nick Lindstrom, Sergei Fedorov, Luke Robotai, Larry Onoff, uh, Dominic Hasek. Uh, the list goes on. Chris Chelios, like it's just, it, it was crazy. Brett Hall. Um, and, you know, even guys like the Darren McCarty's and Chris Draper's and Kirk Maltby's, like, you know, those guys didn't have long careers for you know, just because they were there, they, they were great players. Um, and to be able to learn from those guys and to really kind of come in as a pro and see how they practiced every day, uh, to see what they did on a, you know, day-to-day basis on and off the ice. It was, uh, definitely a great organization for me to, to start and to learn from. And, and I just tried to go to the rink as much as I could and just soak in everything. And, um, you know, and I felt that um, I did that and was able to, you know, kind of help out and, and, you know, contribute a little bit here and there. But, uh, you know, those guys were were great role models for me, for sure. Now, Datsu specifically, got to talk about him for a little bit. Everyone says pretty quiet guy, but did his talking on the ice, just incredible skill level, IQ, hands, uh, ability to just so shifty you know, on the ice, I'm sure just you as a teammate of his, just, you know, sitting on the bench and watching him do his thing and put in his work. I mean, it just was unbelievable. I'm sure to see just the talent he had. 
Yeah, he's he was, you know, he came into the basically into the league the same year that I was uh, coming in. Uh, and just to see some of the things that he would try, I'm like, man, this guy's going to get just absolutely pasted at one point. And he never did. Uh, just so creative with the puck, would do things in practice that would just put you in awe. And then all of a sudden, you know, he's doing it in a game situation. Um, but like you said, very kind of quiet guy, just went amongst his business. And, you know, I think he learned a lot from Igor in his first year on, on how to be a pro, uh, how to approach the game and, you know, try to change his style a little bit to the North American game uh, that would still obviously allow him to, to be Pavel Datsuk. Um, and yeah, he was, it was crazy. You'd play, you know, keep away at the end of practice with them and you never touch the puck. It, it was, it was like, you know, someone like say myself and I you know I got a young, young son right now who's seven years old. And if I was playing keep away with him, you know, obviously I could keep the puck for as long as I wanted to really, but Pavel Datsuk was doing that to NHL players. And it was just like, it was so fun to watch in practice. Uh, but it was, uh, you know, great to be on, on his side because you just didn't want to get embarrassed and you knew that he could do it at, uh, you know, he just could turn on a button, stop. And just, he was always creative and being able to think what you were going to try to do. And he was two steps ahead of you. Yeah, definitely. Um, he, he he just incredible with uh, the the hands and the ability to write switch gears, uh, and you know not a not a speed demon by any stretch, but he didn't need to be. I mean, he was just absolutely spectacular, and just the way he would uh, really trick defensemen uh, with deep moves and and just incredible, you know, uh, hands and ability to just change, uh, you know, his path of his stick and the puck really all in one motion, just uh, spectacular stuff. Zetterberg, uh, obviously, this is a guy that was a great two way player in the league for many years you got to play with him in Detroit's definitely got some Patrice Bergeron and Ryan O'Reilly type characteristics uh, to his game just that 200 foot game uh definitely more of a, a you can tell did you tell with Zetterberg right away I can see why this guy's one of the leaders of the team he just leads yeah again he was you know pretty quiet and and that's how you know, a lot of the leaders were in Detroit. Uh, Steve Eisenman did not say a whole lot. He led by what he did on the ice and what he did off the ice. And work ethic. Yeah, off the ice. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, Nick Lindstrom was kind of the same way. Didn't say a whole lot. Didn't have to say a whole lot because he'd just go out and do it. Um, but Zetterberg, when he first came in, you knew that, you know, he was something special as well. His puck protection, uh, strength. And again, like not super fast, but just so creative and smart. Um, you know, with him and Pavel, I don't think they really got credit on on how really like how strong they were. They were just very strong. They'd be doing stuff after games, like little workouts before we get onto the bus, and that was just them. And at, at times, like you almost had to say, "Hey guys, like we got to slow down here. Uh, you don't want to wear yourself out." And they're kind of they, they would basically say no we're building for you know the playoffs we're getting ready for the playoffs now and this is in october november like they're preparing themselves and thinking about playoffs already so you know it just kind of stemmed down from i think the leadership group and how we carried ourselves um and and they were great guys to take over the leadership when guys retired and stuff so 
you knew that Detroit was going to be in good hands with those two players. And, you know, you look at those guys, like neither one of them, I don't think ever won a scoring title ever. And they, they did not care about the points that they put up. Uh, it was all about the team. And, you know, that's one thing I think some guys can kind of get caught up in is like, okay, I got to score 50 goals this year, or I got to have a hundred points this year. That them, that, that didn't mean anything to them. It was about the Stanley cups and their playoff performances. And, and it takes a while. I think, you know, obviously I was very fortunate to be on that great team in 02 and to win in pretty much like my first year of pro. Um, but then never came close ever again. So it just shows how hard it is to, to, to win in the NHL. And, you know, you, you, you have to kind of sometimes put those personal goals aside and think, okay, Hey, this is, this is going to be better for the team. And if I can become a better 200 foot player, block shots, be good in my D zone, things like that, that's going to help the team win. And I think that when you see your leaders, laying down to block shots or back checking and stealing a puck. It, it just rubs off on everybody else and makes them that much better as well. Yeah, no doubt that 2002 team, which is again, that was back in the days when, you know, Datsuk in particular was just uh, getting into the, uh, the uh, league and starting to was, uh, get himself uh, assimilated to the NHL. Actually, Zetterberg wasn't even with the Red Wings yet uh, no. in that uh, 2002 team, the Stanley cup team. And by the way, Jason's 2002 Detroit Red Wings team, they won the Stanley Cup in an era when the President's Trophy winner didn't turn into a fucking puddle uh, in the Stanley <laughs> Cup playoffs, right? Yeah. Hello, yeah. Boston Bruins. How are you? <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, that's the the kiss of death, though. Like we were that year, we went down 0-2 to Vancouver, and I, and up to this day, I remember that bus ride like it was yesterday. We were we landed in Vancouver, and we got on the bus, and f- from Vancouver to the uh, to the hotel downtown, we had, oh, probably 10 carloads of people like out hanging out their cars and just like screaming at us. You guys suck. You're going to choke, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, we get into town, Steve Eisman basically calls a team meeting and not much was said. It was just like, Hey, keep playing the way we're going to play. And we're going to get a bounce. Once we get our bounce, it's going to be, you know, lights, lights out for them. And sure enough, uh, Nick Lindstrom, I think it was game three, takes a shot from the red line, scores a goal. And you could just see it was like a weight lifted off the players. And, uh, you know, we ended up going on to, to win that series. And of course the legend, Scotty Bowman. I mean, what can you say? I mean, he is still, in my opinion, as a hockey historian. Now, of course, I was born in 85. So many of the Montreal, all the Montreal Canadiens years with Scotty there were before my time. But I've watched the classic games. I know the Hall of Famers that were all up and down those Montreal teams. And I mean, look, he had great players and you can't win as a great head coach without great players. You know, good coaches will admit that, uh, that it's the players that end up getting the job done uh, at the end of the day. But still. You are talking about one of the absolute greatest coaches in all of sports, really, because Scotty Bowman's right up there with you. Any comparable in any of the other major sports? Phil Jackson, Red Auerbach, and basketball. You know, uh, definitely uh, Vince Lombardi, Bill Belichick, and football. I mean, he's right up there with that kind of company in terms of the four major sports in North America. One of the greatest head coaches going, uh, and the success he had, and the able and the ability he was to get through and connect to players and get the best out of them. 
Uh, he got that out of all of his teams, including those Red Wings teams in the 90s. And then, of course, that last cup with him at the helm, which you were part of. Yeah, he was, you know, you never really knew what he was thinking. Um, you know, was he an X and O guy? No, I, I don't think he was a huge guy on X's and O's. He was more about who he had out against other teams and his matchups and things like that. He was very particular with that. And then I think a lot of the players just kind of knew if you weren't going, then you weren't playing. Um, and he'd let you know. And But he would try to do everything that he could to give you a chance to come out and prove that you could, you know, get out of a slump or whatever it was. Um, and I think that's one of his strengths were was being able to keep guys accountable. Um, you know, to have all those all-stars with Fedorov and Hall and Shanahan, Iserman, uh, Luke Robitaille, how do you give ice time to all those guys to keep them happy? Um, and, you know, he was able to find a way to do that. And I think, like, you know, maybe he doesn't get a, as much credit as, you know, obviously a lot of people think he is one of the greatest coaches, and, and, I, and, I, and I think that as well. But to be able to have a team like that at that time and to be able to get them to put their egos aside and being like, hey, if we want to win a Stanley Cup, like this is what this is how we have to play and this is what we need to do. He got everybody to buy in. And uh, that's just one of the things that he was so good at was getting his teams to buy in and understand, you know, what was at stake and what needed to be done. I, and I agree, too. He's, he's up there on the Pantheon, as far as I'm concerned, of uh, head coaches. But, you know, it was a great, uh, great group of players you got to be with uh, in the uh, Detroit Red Wings. And obviously a lot of success. Let's not forget that, you know, later on in the 2000s there, you're not another season where you were President's Trophy winners. Uh, but uh, an earlier exit, obviously, in the playoffs. So that was the one year where, hey, President's Trophy, uh, it ended up uh, happening. What, uh, were you on one of those Detroit teams where it was Edmonton that knocked them out early? I think so, right? Uh, we lost Edmonton the one year, and then we lost to Calgary the other year. Yeah. Um, Calgary went on to go to the finals, and Edmonton went on to go to the finals, and obviously yeah. both of them lost in the finals. But that was tough. Like it was just like, man, like we get by those two rounds, and you know, we we might find ourselves in a Stanley Cup finals, and that would have just added on to the success that Detroit had. It was just one of those things where maybe it just didn't go our way. A couple bounces, a few guys were banged up here and there and just things weren't kind of following the way they could have, I think, but um, you know, Detroit had, had always in the last, well, from the nineties to the the two thousands there, like they just were able to find players to fit certain roles and they were always a contender at the beginning of the year. Like you were always talking about the Detroit Red Wings and they just kind of sometimes flew under the radar a little bit, um, you know, cause they'd have, they bring in a few guys and you were just like, Oh, okay. They're okay. You know, they're going to be good role guys, but then they were just able to find ways to, you know, gel as a team and, and come together at the right time. Yep. No doubt. No doubt. And uh, it was, uh, like I say, you were consistently one of, uh, one of the better teams in the NHL every year there in Detroit. That was not the case when you got to the Chicago Blackhawks, the uh, next stop. They were in obviously turmoil. It was really a dumpster fire for about 10 good, 10 strong years there from the late 90s to 
the time you were there in the 2000s. And you were there just pre-Taves and Kane era of dominance uh, with the uh, Chicago Blackhawks. I think you actually played with Taves maybe his very first year, uh, I think. But you uh, you weren't there before uh, when Kane uh, got there uh, to the uh, team. But, uh, you know, there's if you look at that, those Chicago teams, again, they were in transition. They were, you know, one of the worst teams in the league the few, the, throughout most of the 2000s and stockpiling draft capital, which they ended up putting to good use. Of course, they won the lottery the year that they were able to draft Patrick Kane. And, of course, great timing that you're on and you had the Blackhawks connection. After last night, they win the lottery again, and they're going to be able to take, obviously, Connor Bedard uh, next month in the uh, number one overall pick. But, you know, still, it's a traditional hockey market. Uh, it was It's a big metropolitan area, one of the bigger ones in the United States. And I'm sure still putting on the Chicago Blackhawks jersey, even though times were tough for the franchise when you were there, still a thrill. Oh, absolutely. Anytime you're putting on an original six jersey, uh, there's just so much uh, history behind it. And, um, you know, I, obviously I was a little disappointed. It kind of caught me off guard and kind of by surprise. I wasn't, you know, kind of talked about being traded. And then, you know, for me to kind of go to uh, Chicago or, you know, 8,000, 5,000 people at a game, uh, you know, we were pretty ma- like pretty much mathematically out of a playoff uh, picture by the time I did get traded there. Um, so that was kind of tough, but, um, you know, we kind of knew that there was some, you know, good young talent coming up. Uh, so the year that I got traded there, uh, we had Duncan Keith, uh, Patrick Sharp, uh, Brent Seabrook, um, you know, and the following year is when Kane and Taves came in. Um, and, you know, to see these guys come in and training camp, you know, I, to be honest, Patrick King did not have a very good training camp the year that he came in. And I was like, man, this kid's small. I don't know if he's going to be able to hack it right away. Um, but they were going to give him his, at least his nine games to see what he could do. And like during the, the preseason, like you say, he was, you know, decent, showed some glimpses. But then as soon as the regular season started, it was like a light switch went off and he just, kind of just went on his own and, and just started playing with a ton more confidence. And, and then you were just like, Whoa, yeah, this kid's going to be good. Um, but yeah, I like to, you know, to go, go from Detroit to, to Chicago was a little bit of a disappointment, but you know, I tried to make the best of it. And I knew that I was going to a place where I was going to get another opportunity, fresh start, um, you know, and uh, just, it was a little unfortunate. Things didn't really work out. Uh, had a couple injuries uh, that kind of held me out of the lineup a little bit. And then, um, you know, w- once, uh, the, those two years were kind of like, uh, were up, uh, I was thinking, well, you know, I, I was almost a point per game in the 40, I think it was 43 games that I played that year because of injury. Um, and it was tough because I had an injury. It was a sports hernia. And, uh, so I had, I, I sat kind of for six weeks and I didn't, I just basically went to the practice rink, you know, and sat on the trainer's table, you know, iced a little bit. And then it was like fighting traffic for an hour on the way back. And for six weeks I did that. And then all of a sudden I got a second opinion within two minutes, the guy's like, yeah, you need surgery. And I go and I have surgery in Philadelphia and I'm back playing in five and a half weeks. So I sat for six weeks and did nothing. And I was just like, it just kind of had a, I put a sour taste in my mouth and I didn't have the trust 
that much in the the training staff, let's say. And I was like, does this organization even care what what is wrong with me? Or, you know, it just kind of left a sour taste. And I get it. Like it's it, it they're they're the best at their jobs and they they have a lot of players to look after. And I and I, I understand it. And looking back at it, I, I could have probably handled the situation a little bit better. But then yeah, I just it, it just kind of left me out hanging, I felt a little bit. And um, you know, when after those two years were done, um you know, I was a free agent and end up uh, that summer signing with uh, Atlanta. No, and uh, it's it's funny because Alex, who is uh, my colleague on this show, uh, born and raised in Chicago, he's living in Minnesota now, but he's uh, from Chicago, lifelong Blackhawks fan, and uh, he's going to be the first person to just be uh, ripping the team at that in that era for just how just ridiculous it was. It was a shit show. It was a shit show with ownership. Nobody yes. was in the building. Uh, yeah. I mean, it was hard to get people in the seats, kind of like last year, actually. There was that element that Chicago kind of returned to those dark 2000 days last year when you saw the building. And obviously, again, tough times with them rebuilding, although that's going to change in a hurry. And we'll get to that uh, in a moment with the uh, Bedard uh, winning the uh, draft lottery last night. But, uh, yeah, just another uh, log to throw on the fire, Jason, as far as the uh, Chicago Blackhawks at that time of year that, um, you know, it's kind of like um, – just uh they didn't really take care of things as far as your injury situation there as well as they could have yeah like i say it was it was kind of tough but um you know they've they've had obviously a lot of success in the last little bit and and then you know the last couple years with with guys obviously having to leave and with the cap era it's tough to keep um you know teams together and you know you you have like you great example would be kind of Tampa now, like, you know, the, the core guys that had been there for a long time, you know, the Palat is out now and, you know, trying the Goudreau and a few other guys that have, you know, moved on to go to different teams. It's, you just, it's tough to keep those players around. Like you, you were able to back in the day and um, you know, but it, it helps teams. Like you look at a team like Seattle now, like look at, Look at what they're doing. You know, if you look at their team, you know, to name seven or eight players on that team that are like, wow, like, yeah, this team's really good. Like you look at that team, you look at that roster, you're just sitting there going, eh, they're okay. They're, they're decent. They'll be okay. But again, like that's the fun thing I think about hockey is you find a group of guys and you get them to believe in themselves and commit and playing as a team anything can happen. And Vegas was a prime example when they first came into the league and got to the Stanley cup final. Like, again, none of those players, like, yes, those teams wanted them, but they were like, we, we have other players that are better that we're going to protect and we're going to, we're okay leaving the, letting these guys go. And then all of a sudden, like they get to the Stanley cup final. It's like, that was a huge surprise. Yeah, absolutely. Someone in the chat wants me to ask, says, ask Jason about playing with Dominic Hasek. Yeah, of course. One of the absolute, you know, all-time great goaltenders. You talk about anything it takes to make a save, Dominic Hasek would do that. Uh, unorthodox, uh, he would, you know, flip, flop, and fly all over the uh, goal crease. Whatever it took to keep that little round piece of rubber out of the net, uh, he was willing to do it. Uh, incredibly athletic in terms of what he was able to do, you know, the snow angel, whatever it took, Dominic Hoshik. And I still, uh, every time I think of Dominic Hoshik's playing days, I think of that hockey town, red, 
bowl looking goalie mask he always wore. Uh, one of the few, you know, it's a, one of a kind, certainly in terms of the way he wore it from a goalie mask standpoint. But yeah, the dominator, Jason, and I'm a Buffalo Sabres fan uh, growing up. So I remember so many great years where he literally carried the Buffalo Sabres on his fucking back to the Stanley Cup final in 1999. And of course, we won't go into the Brett Hall thing. I'm sick of talking about it. But uh, <laughs> it, the, he, we don't get there without Dominic Hoshik just playing at an incredible, insane level. And uh, he did that for many years, and I'm sure it was fun to watch him in Detroit. Yeah, he's – well, most goalies are are uh, different birds. Uh, he was very special, um, you know, likes things certain ways. But, again, just in practice, he was by far the hardest goaltender to score on that I've ever, ever shot on. Um, you know, we'd be doing drills, and we knew that – you know, he hated pucks being in his net, hated it. So, you know, we'd be doing a drill and you'd be at the side and you would like think that he's not looking or paying attention. And you throw a puck towards the crease area and thinking like, I'll just throw this puck in the net. And he would like take the shot and then like save it. And then he'd see that puck coming towards the net and he'd be like, kind of almost dive out of the way to like being like, no, don't be putting pucks in my net. Hated being scored on. Uh, very, very competitive. I remember like, even just like, I, mean, I was one of the guys that was out on the ice after practices, like working on certain things and staying out as long as I could, because I was like, I'm not leaving the ice until all these guys are off the ice. Like this just, I was like, I knew I had to be out there because I would get razzed if I went into that dressing room. So, um, you know, he would stay out sometimes and he'd be like, okay, Hey, take five breakaways. And uh, I go in and I would, you know, miss on the first three and I come in and say fan on one and it happened to go in the net. Sure enough, he'd be like, okay, get five more pucks. You got to do it again. He did not, he, he was not leaving the ice until he stopped all five or if it was 10, didn't matter. Uh, you know, Brett Hall would be doing one timers on him and I'm going like, this guy's crazy. Like this is, if he gets hit in the shoulder. Like this is our starting goalie. Like yikes. Like, and he's so so good and was able to really like help us you know win that stanley cup in 02 like but you know we'd be sitting on the bench at times the play would be down the other end and he would be flopping around doing other stuff like he'd be like visualizing what's happening in the offensive zone and how he would make a save if he was in a certain area and it was like guys were like what is this guy doing but you know those were that's how goalies are they're just a they're i don't know they're just a different breed i guess but uh very very you know, great goaltender, worked extremely hard. And, um, you know, he was he was a great guy. He, he was, you know, kept the room pretty light. Yeah, absolutely. And I kept saying when I was watching him, especially in the Buffalo days, late 90s, uh, and had just incredible level of goaltending from him, I said, one of these days he's going to be responsible for Rick Jenneret having a heart attack in the broadcast. <laughs> I mean, Rick Jenneret yeah. calling some of these big saves, you know. Oh, Shaq, we are not worthy. You know, and uh, just he, I mean, you talk about a guy that just made incredible saves uh, time and time again. And uh, yeah, incredible career uh, and uh, fun to watch him play uh, for sure. Um, so after that, it was you really after the Chicago tenure for you, it was really, you know, bouncing around for uh, many years. You know, obviously 
lot of games built up. The years moved on. You know, I'm sure injuries mounted a little bit too, but uh, Atlanta, Columbus, Detroit, Dallas within a four-year stretch, 2008 to 2011. Uh, briefly with the Penguins organization, you went overseas, which I think might have been when there was a, st uh, a stoppage for the uh, NHL at yeah. that time. Yeah, back to uh, the North America with the Oilers organization. I think the Barons in the AHL were their affiliate you know, at that time, of course, now it's Bakersfield, and then over to Germany, and then uh, even re recent, most recently played for my little town here, Dundas, outside of Hamilton. So really, you've been, uh, like I say, a, a roadmap as far as traveling and where your hockey career took you. Yeah, and, you know, like you said, there was a few injuries here and there. I think that if I could have stayed a little healthier, um, could have probably stuck around in the NHL a little bit longer, and then uh, when the, there was talk about a, another work stoppage and stuff. And, you know, I think I was right around 30, 31 at the time. And, uh, you know, I talked to some people that had played overseas and especially in Switzerland and Sweden and, and things like that. And, you know, guys had great experiences and I thought, you know, am I going to really like waste half another season? I already missed a full season because of a work stoppage. So, you know, am I going to, waste another year and and kind of see what happens and hopefully we start on time but if we don't like you know i, I would just at that time i was like you know what let's make that jump so i signed a two-year deal in switzerland with uh ombre and uh you know went over there and and sure enough you know come say the start of the season there was no nhl season there was no talk of when it was going to start so at, the, at that time, I was like, maybe I did make the, the right choice here. And, you know, maybe trying to come over here, establish myself, have a couple of good years. And, you know, I know many players that had played over there uh, that had been there for 10, 12 years and, and you know, had a really good time. And, and the thing that playing overseas is they pay for everything. They pay for your, your living. They pay for your, uh, you know, your taxes and all that kind of stuff. So, um all you had to worry about was getting to the rink. They gave you a car. You had to put gas in it and get groceries. And if you had a phone, that was your phone bill. And that was it. So a lot of the responsibilities of an adult, they were taken care of. They were just kind of there and, and just kind of playing hockey and having fun. So, you know, being in Ombre, um, you know, it's a, it's a very, very small little kind of town village, if you want to even call it. Uh, 5,000 people, I think in the, in the town that we played in, um, we were in the Southern part of Switzerland. So, you know, we drive up to practice and there's, it's, you know, minus 10, minus 12. And at each end of the rink was open to like the elements. So it was like playing outdoors with the, just a roof over top of your, uh, over top of your head. And we were right up in the mountains and it was cold extremely cold we had like chicken noodle soup hot and ready on the bench for us at times and you know to leave your sticks on the bench for say a game as a spare uh if you broke a stick and that stick was you know at the bench it, it was at least you know you had you used an 85 flex it was a 90 flex or 95 flex like it was crazy how cold the things were and if a, hit, a shot hit your stick, boom, blow up completely. Um, but the town really supported their team. Um, and it was a great experience. I, I really enjoyed it. When the NHL guys came over, Max Pacioretty played in Ombre for, I don't know, two, three weeks. And then 
took off. <laughs> but uh, a lot of those guys came over and played. And, uh, you know, I think it came to uh, Christmas time and the Spangler Cup was coming around. And so all the NHL guys that were there, we ended up, you know, making a, a team and played in the Spangler Cup up in Davos and, you know. Oh, well, the rosters were loaded that year when the oh, NHL yeah. was, was out yes. because of the work stoppage. Oh, it was a loaded rock for Spangler Cup in terms of just the quality. Yeah, and it was great. It was a lot of fun, good competition. Yep. Um, you know, Joe Thornton was there, Rick Nash uh, playing for Davos. I think Patrick Kane played for Davos. Um, and, you know, like the Team Canada, we had Tavares, we had – you know, uh, Sam Gagne, uh, Bergeron. Um, and it was, it was a lot of fun. Like the guys, it, we, we had a great time. Um, and, uh, you know, to, to be in that Spanger cup and, you know, a lot of people, you know, I think back here kind of watch it uh, at times. I don't think it's, you know, obviously the world juniors is a big thing. Um, and it's kind of on at the same time, but, uh, people will kind of watch the world juniors and then, you know, click over and be like, oh, the Spangler Cup. And and they just, you know, see the facilities and see how, you know, the European, the, the chanting and, and all that type of stuff. It's just a different environment, uh, different atmosphere. And, uh, but it was, it was a lot of fun. I, I really enjoyed my time um, in Switzerland, especially the first year. Second year, I kind of got, uh, I got hurt after, at the, during the playoffs in my first year. And it kind of messed me up for majority of this next season. Uh, I had a wrist injury where I had to have surgery done, uh, had a metal plate put in my wrist, uh, dislocated it, tore a bunch of ligaments and stuff like that. It just took me a long time to, to kind of come back from it. And, um, you know, I think the team was a little upset that uh, I wasn't the, the leading goal scorer of the league that I, the year before when, when all the NHL guys were there. But you know, I, I was playing injured and I, there was nothing I could really do about it. I wasn't fully yeah. healed. And, you know, I, I tried my best to, to do what I could do. And but, it's a wrist injury. And we know how important that is to shooting the puck properly. Yeah. And, and I honestly, it was, it was so weird. It took me a year to get the grip strength back in my hand where yeah. if I would shake someone's hand, you know how, when you shake someone's hand, if it's a, like a dead fish, you, you notice right away. It's like, Oh God, like that just doesn't feel right. Right. And I would feel like I'm squeezing as hard as I could. And it would be like shaking hands with someone that like, like it was like a dead fish. Like if my grip strength was say was, you know, 70 on one hand and my grip strength on my other was complete. Like it was less than half. And I, and I thought I was squeezing as hard as I could. I just had no strength in it and I couldn't do anything. Um, yeah. And to this day, like I still, I feel that injury the most, I would say uh, where, you know, I don't have a great range of motion. I can't, you know, get myself into a push-up position because I can't bend my wrist back. I have to kind of make a fist to do push-ups if I were going to do push-ups and stuff like that. So it just took a long time for it to heal. Once it healed, um, you know, I, I was then I went. I was back in North America playing, uh, like like you said, with Oklahoma and with the Barons, and um, you know, it was just. You know, I was I was happy to come back to North America, and I thought, you know what, maybe I could give one last kick at the can here and see if I can get into an NHL lineup. And you know, it just didn't happen. But you know, to play with the guys, you know, to see Bressois, 
he was that was his first year uh kind of in the minors there to see him have success that's true yeah right yeah yeah um you know it's it's great to see you know some of those players you know kind of pan out and make it and um you know we had a pretty good team we had a pretty good run the year that was in oklahoma uh and um you know a lot of a lot of fun and like you say now just kind of keep in touch a little bit here and there with some of those players that i played with and seeing some of the young guys that had come in uh having success at the nhl level is, is good to see not at all surprised to hear another positive review from one of our guests playing in europe i, I don't think there's anybody that's told me hey it sucked uh it was miserable <laughs> i hate the people there i hate the uh landscape i hate the scenery there no everybody has said nothing but positive things uh, and it doesn't matter what country it was over there whether germany switzerland italy uh czech republic czech czechia sweden uh you know uk there's a lot we've had to play in that eihl league over there now in the uk with uh cardiff and belfast and all those teams and they say that's a great experience so there's nobody that we've talked to jason that says the european experience hasn't been a good one yeah, no, it was it was pretty good, and even my time in Germany, again, I go over there uh, a little bit late. Uh, we started, you know, I was kind of coming through halfway through training camp, um, signed a little bit late, and then when I got over there, my first exhibition game I played, I uh, fractured a vertebrae in my low back, and you know, trying to, I tried to come back twice from that, and I, I felt so bad because you know, being an import player, you're an important player on on those teams and they and they rely on you you know for you know producing and 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 basically you know helping that team and i just felt bad where i wasn't able to do what i wanted to do and um you know i again i only played nine games because my back wouldn't let me do anything and that's one of the things now is if i go out in the ice and i play you know maybe some with some friends or like you said when i was playing in dundas you know, the next day, my back really, really would get pretty sore and, and I could feel it. And uh, like, was it to the point where it felt like it was seizing up on you? Uh, it was more like, you, you know, how you're kind of bent over in that hockey position. I can't I couldn't hold that for very long. I remember like even if I was at home, just like tidying up and doing some vacuuming or something like that. After like 10 minutes of vacuuming, I was like, my back would like. I'd have to sit down and be like, Oh, I just, I couldn't hold that position with like my back kind of being on that angle. Um, so, you know, even, you know, working out now lifting and stuff, like I can't load heavy weight. I can't put heavy weight on my back and do squats. I just, I can't do it. Um, you know, my body just doesn't allow me and my back just like screams, like don't ever do that again the next day. Or if I'm doing jumps or whatever, uh, you know, plyometric stuff, I just, yeah, can't do it. Um, you know, I can only do so much and, uh, you just find a way to cope with it and, um, you know, do the best that you can. I know my mobility isn't obviously where it used to be, but, uh, you know, that's, I think that's one thing that I think gets overlooked a little bit is I think that if I could have improved and, and kind of concentrated a little bit on my mobility while I was playing, you know, I wasn't like a guy that was like super stiff or anything, but, uh, working on that mobility, the hip mobility, working on your low back, the core stuff. I think for young players now, you know, it's not always about lifting that heavy weight. It's, it's, you know, I think that if I were to redo my career, uh, I think at about 26, 27, I would have really completely got away from lifting heavy weights. Cause like how much stronger are you going to get 
and how much stronger do you need to get to perform as a hockey player? You have to be mobile. You have to be athletic. You have to be able to, you know, maneuver and get yourself out of tight situations. Especially these days. Yeah. yeah. And, so. and, and speed is such yeah. a huge thing now. So, you know, I think getting away from some of the, the heavy lifting, the power lifting, the, the movements and stuff like that, I think I would have gotten away from a little bit earlier and whether that would have made a difference, I don't know. Um, you know, but I think it might've helped and, uh, something that I could maybe, you know, try to pass on to someone else that, you know, ask me, you know, what do you think I, I should be doing in, in any type of training and stuff like that? I think that like, once you get to a certain age, 26, 27, maybe even 28, I think you're not going to get that much stronger. And that was one thing that I really noticed with like a guy like Brett Hall, you know, wasn't in the best shape, but very, very flexible, very mobile. And like, he was able to, you know, I, you'd walk into the room in, in Detroit and he'd be laying there in almost the splits and doing the New York crossword puzzle. And it was just like, you know, his hips, his, the things that he could do, he was so flexible and, and his mobility was great. And I think that's one of the reasons, well, it could be one of the reasons why he was able to play a long time. Yeah. And uh, it's funny, you mentioned the, the issue you had with your back and it's still, you know, a problem, you know, you can't put too much weight on it these days. I know I have a father that's had tons of back issues. Like he has a, he had a herniated disc in his back. Uh, his sciatic nerve is completely fucked. And, uh, you know, he's, yeah, he's basically had to go for multiple surgeries to get it taken care of just to alleviate some of the pain. And he's got to do stretches every single day, pretty much, or else there's going to be some level of pain that comes back for that lower body area, lower back, I should say, area. So, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's not fun uh, to have issues uh, with your back. I'm worried now because as a son of his, I'm thinking, oh, I hope I don't have the same shit you know, 20, 30 years from now, uh, that uh, does worry me a little bit. For someone that doesn't have great posture, like I've been bent over on my computer, you know, uh, area here for years doing this job, and I feel like I'm going to pay the price for it, you know, 10 or 20 years from now. I hope not, but kind of feels uh, that way a little bit. Um, all right, so great stuff talking about the career. What a career in terms of so many good teams and players and coaches. Um, and, J Jason, that's the one thing you can definitely look back on and say, oh, boy, you know, satisfied when I got to play with, uh, I got to win a Stanley Cup, got to play on some excellent teams, some great teammates, some incredible players, good coaches. Uh, and you can look back on that with satisfaction. You know, we're going to look back on sat with satisfaction as well uh, to a moment in your career here. We always do this, especially the first time guests. We look, go, but go, roll the highlight film. We open up the vault uh, and we go back in time to see a, a player moment from, uh, our guests passed, and uh, this is a good one. This is one that our, my guy Alex B. Smith, my colleague, picked out. Uh, it was Halloween night, two thousand seven, Chicago Blackhawks at Dallas Stars, uh, and it was uh, a game that you played pretty damn Trevorrow well. So let's tomorrow. let's roll the tape. Let's get to the let's get to the good moments here. Let me just Barnes see if almost. I can find it here. So it was three three oh at this time of the game. Oops, we had it there. Hold on. There we go. We got to find it. Okay, here we go. So it was three three at this time of the game and uh, for the uh, Dallas uh, Stars. And it, it was uh, basically back and forth from this point on. I think they ended up actually taking the lead 4-3. And, he and things weren't looking good for the uh, Stars, or for the Blackhawks, rather, at this time in the game. But you're going to see here Dallas ends up taking the lead. And our guest here, Jason Williams, decided to take matters into his own hands and say, I ain't letting our team lose this hockey game. Do you recall this specific game, Jason? 
I do. I do. Uh, I do remember this game. Uh, kind of scoring two quick goals in the third period, uh, and uh, I think the the last goal I ended up scoring was uh, I kind of come into the offensive zone, kind of come across the middle, and I throw a shot. Uh, Low blocker. Yeah, there it is. And this was just a tip. Great pass by uh, Robert Lang. And played with him in Detroit as well. Uh, great character. Wow, what a beauty he was. If you want to know how you're playing, go sit with him in the sauna after the game and he'll let you know who's playing well and who's not. So, um, but yeah, this was, uh, that was the goal to, to tie it 4 4. And then shortly after that, uh, like I say, it was. Got the puck in on the right side and uh, threw, a, threw a shot, low blocker on, on Smith. And uh, able just to kind of catch him moving a little bit here. Just kind of kind of caught him off guard. And that ended up Look at that there. shot beating Mike Smith. Far corner. Pick that far corner. That area of the net where it's difficult for the goalie to ever have that puck when it's placed in that area. Yeah, yeah. That low blocker shot, uh, I think, obviously. What a even, shot. Even today, uh, I tell a lot of our players and, and kids that I'm trying to teach and stuff and kids that I'm coaching, you know, that low blocker, is, it's, it's a difficult save for the goaltenders. Um, you know, everybody wants to go bar down and, oh, it's, it's a pretty goal. But you know what? At the end of the day, they don't ask you how you scored them. They ask how many you got, right? So, um, you know, just a, a shot that was one of my things that, you know, I talking to – uh, goaltenders that I played with or played against, they all knew that I loved going low blocker. And that was, uh, that was one of the things that, uh, they were like, we knew that you were going to go there, but you were pretty good at disguising it. You know, no, I'm not a, a hall of fame guy that scored four or 500 goals in the league or anything like that. But that was one of the things that they said that they always remembered that, uh, you know, I would always go low blocker or high glove or something like that. And as a righty, I think that's kind of, where, you know, most players and most right-handed shots, the, they kind of, I, I think, kind of lead to that area. Um, I think nowadays, uh, trying to convince players to shoot five-hole, I am I see so many goalies, like, letting five-hole goals go in. But, like, how often do you shoot five-hole in practice? I, I can, you know, go to a junior team, go to an NHL team and, and ask them, how many, goal, how many times do you face a shot five-hole? And they'd be like, they could probably count it on, on one hand, right? So if you're never shooting there and they're never taking shots five hole, really, um, you know, it's, it's one, I think it's become kind of that new low blocker, you know, shot where players are starting to shoot low blocker a lot more. Um, you know, I, I try to tell the players that uh, like I'm teaching them or coaching them is aiming for the, the heel of that goaltender stick. Cause as they go down, they have that tendency to, to bring their arms in. When they bring their arms in, it moves their stick just ever so slightly. So when you look, you Opens don't up see far side just above the blocker. Yep. Yeah, and you don't really see it, but you know it's a it's a shot that's pretty effective nowadays. Yeah, it is. It's effective for you on October thirty first, two thousand seven. <laughs> I'll tell you that much. Uh, terrific shot, Mike Smith. Of course, just in the the very beginning. Uh, of his NHL career and a much younger Dave Tippett, as you could tell in the uh, video yes. clip as well. Yeah. Uh, that was, can you believe that was 16 years ago? I mean, you, must you, couldn't, find, uh, you couldn't find that clip in high def. No, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think high def was just rolling around prior to last week. The Toronto Maple Leafs hadn't won a playoff series in high definition. <laughs> uh, it had been 19 years. since, And I know for a fucking fact, 2004 never had high definition. 
uh, yes, you know, when yeah. the last time they won a playoff series. But uh, And we will get to the NHL in just a moment. We'll talk with Jason about the playoffs that are ongoing, the series and the two games tonight. We'll tee them up uh, as well. But uh, last of all, on the Jason Williams uh, topic of discussion, what, how are how are how is things post playing, and how are you keeping busy right now? Yeah, like I said, I, I have a program here in London, Ontario, that I um, uh, it's called PhD Hockey, and it's it's just basically a helping some of the younger kids in around the area uh, develop their skating and skills and, and things like that. So. I'm pretty much on the ice uh, every day, um, every morning from 7.15 to 8.15, usually before school. Uh, have a group of kids in all different age groups uh, come out and, and work with them. And then uh, I'm also doing some coaching on top of that. Um, I'm coaching the Strathroy Rockets in the GOJHL. And this is, I just kind of finished my second year coaching them. Uh, I coached minor hockey for two years, uh, major bantam and minor midget uh, for the, with the 04 age group. And um, yeah, so just been kind of coaching and, and, and keeping myself involved with the game a little bit. Uh, I really enjoy it. Uh, I love the coaching. I love, you know, watching video, breaking down games, uh, seeing what other teams are doing and, and, uh, you know, trying to teach that to some of these kids is can be a chore at times, but, you know, trying to help them out and understand, you know, what's going to help them get to the next level and make that transition as easy as possible for them uh, is something that I enjoy. And, um, you know, I, I, I've liked, you know, doing that in the last five or six years that I've done it. Um, I'm going to kind of continue doing that and continue going down that road. Um you know, uh, there's a lot of players that I work with in, in around this area that, uh, you know, now are playing in the OHL or playing some type of junior hockey or about to make that step to junior hockey. And, um, you know, to see their growth and see where they've come uh, is, is, is great. And, uh, you know, the fact that I can say that I maybe helped out in, in a little bit in any type of form, uh, you know, it's great. It keeps me busy and, you uh, you know, keeps me, you know, moving around and, and not just sitting around. I, that's not something that I could do is just retire and, and sit back and not do anything. I want to stay busy, stay involved in the game. I, I feel like I'm a, a student of the game and uh, I've always had that passion. And, um, you know, if I can take it into the coaching, if there's an opportunity to take my coaching to or player development or something like that to another level, um, I'd obviously consider it. Uh, the one thing is, is, you know, as you listed at the beginning of the, of the show, uh, I, uh, I moved around quite a bit and, uh, you know, I have a young family with my wife and, uh, my two kids, my, my daughter's 10 and my son is seven. Um, you know, I don't want to move them all around like crazy, but if the right opportunity presents itself, um, you know, it's something that I've talked to my wife about and, and considered that uh, if the right opportunity comes that uh, maybe I, I, uh, I jump on that. There you go. Keep your options open and you yes. never know. Like yep. I say, you never commit to something and only that and you shut the door to any and all other possibilities. That's always the good way to go about it. Uh, in life, always keep uh, all your options on the uh, table. And like I say, whether it's coaching and uh, training and what you're doing now, you you love the game. You're still, you know, watching hockey as well. Uh, loved uh, being connected to the sport. So uh, it's definitely something you want to be involved with uh, moving forward. Uh, we'll talk about Vegas and Edmonton in a sec. But first, got to talk draft lottery last night. 
Chicago Blackhawks, one of your former teams, Jason, uh, the lucky winners of the number one overall pick in that lottery. They will get to draft Connor Bedard, uh, number one overall. My colleague Alex B. Smith was actually on a live reaction show for the draft lottery uh, last night. And I didn't know he was actually on one of these, but he was. And yeah, his uh, his reaction when the uh, Blackhawks won the number one overall pick, to say the least, was uh, he was quite happy. And like I said, I, we, let's put out an APB on Alex B. Smith when he, when that uh, announcement was made. I thought we might need to call an ambulance for him. He passed out or something. He was just in such shock and such excitement and uh, at, at the uh, moment that it was announced that Chicago was the number one overall pick. So they'll get to draft Connor Bedard. How much of that kid have you been able to see, Jason, on television or whatever? I mean, in the World Juniors, obviously, we got to see him a lot playing for Canada. I know there's been some of his uh, team's games with the Regina Pats have been televised on TSN specifically this year, but uh, does look like this kid, like just he was too good for the junior ranks this past year. What he was doing, he was destroying the record book uh, in the junior ranks this year. Um, it's hard to believe that he's going to be a miss. It really is. It is, you know, you, you watch him play, and the good players, they just you always talk about it is is, is the puck seems to follow him. Um, you know, maybe sometimes things might not be going for him in that game. And then all of a sudden you look down and he's got three points and the puck follows him, but he's, he's a very smart player. He's able to find ways to, to be effective. Um, and you know, you talk about all the good players and, and that's the one thing that they all have in common is that they can think the game at a high level. Um, I think that's what separates him from. You know, his draft class is, is able or his ability to be able to think. Um, and he's just on a complete another level. Um, you know, he, he isn't the fastest guy. He isn't the biggest guy. He doesn't have the, you know, I wouldn't say the hardest shot, but he has a very effective shot, um, finds ways to be able to, you know, get it off. Uh, he's got a great release. Um, and, you know, and you, you hear – you know, all the, the, the memes and the stuff on the internet about the toe drag release, toe drag release. So, you know, he's, he's been able to kind of master that. And, um, you know, he's, I, I think he's going to be a special player in the NHL. Um, but in saying that, you know, you're going to the NHL, it, it is a, it's a different league and it's a big, big step from junior hockey, but, um, I think that yeah, he's got to do the typical young kid at that age, especially as an underage, you know, like he's still like, so what, 17, 18 right now, he's got to put on weight. Like every kid at that age has to, he's got to show he can take physical punishment, you know, withstand, you know, and be a hard four check kind of guy as well. You know, you just can't be, uh, skating up and down and, and doing things at a rapid rate without seeing some pushback. You got to be able to show that you could be hard on pucks play through contact, that kind of shit. And yeah, that's the stuff that he's obviously every player at that age is going to have to work on. And it's through putting on more weight, getting bigger, getting stronger. Yeah. And, and he, and that will come with time. Um, but I think like I say, you look at his skill set, uh, the way he can read the game. Um, and he's just, uh, you can tell that he's an exceptional talent. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's good for the game. Uh, obviously we've been pretty spoiled, I think in the last decade or so with like guys like Sidney Crosby and, you know, uh, you know, now Connor McDavid coming in and doing what he's done has been tremendous. And, you know, to sit and watch Connor McDavid, like just to sit back and see the things that he does at such a high pace is, is incredible. Like he just, he's, he can make plays. He's an exciting player to watch. 
you know, I think that if you're, you're an Edmonton fan, you're going to the games and you're just like glued to this guy and Leon Dreisaitl, like he's no stiff either. Um, you know, and, and watching him shining number 97 in the playoffs so far. Yeah. And, and he's, he's done uh, a great job and, and he's finding ways to get things done. And again, like you, they're two different players, like completely different players. Connor's got that speed and the ability to, to think well. Um, and he's got the quick hands. Um, but like, you know, dry saddle, he's not that like, he's not as fast and as flashy, I would say, but his ability to make plays, to score his shot, um, you know, his, his creativity is great. He just, he's such a big body. He can protect pucks so well. And the one thing that kind of always stood out in my mind and uh, maybe for some of the younger listeners that uh, are listening to this is when I was in Detroit, sometimes people would say to me, like, you have to be, you know, harder on pucks or you got to be grittier. And I was like, okay, well, does grittier mean like going out and running guys over? Um, Because I wasn't obviously the biggest guy. Uh, And, you know, Ken Holland pulled me aside one time and, and he explained it in a simpler form. And I think that it kind of sort of resonated with me. I was like, wow, okay. I never thought of it that way. And he brought up Pavel Datsuk and Henrik Zetterberg. He said, when those guys go into the corner, who comes out with the puck? And I was like, well, Pavel or, or, or Hank will come out with the puck. And he's like, do they run guys over? And I'm like, well, no. And he goes, well, what they do is they either outthink them or they're strong on their stick. What they're doing is they're winning a stick battle. So, I was like, oh, okay. So I don't have to necessarily like be physical and go in and like get that puck. Like as long as I'm coming out with it, that does the job. And he's like, absolutely. So that's the thing. Like I think back in the day where, you know, I'm coming through a lot of these players, oh, you got to be gritty. You got to be gritty. And it's like, okay, well, guys were like, okay, well, I'm going to go out and just run everything over that I can see. And that wasn't the case necessarily. It was more about just going into that puck battle and coming out with it. So however you do it, whether you use your head, whether you, you know, lift a stick or you're strong on your stick or you're physical with them, whatever it is, however you figure that out, come out with the puck more often than not. And so that was like, oh, okay, that makes sense to me. But that was eight to 10 years into my, into my playing career that I thought, oh, I need to be physical and gritty. I need to run guys over. And that wasn't the case. So you know, sometimes like you maybe hear a coach say to you, like, yeah, you got to be grittier. You got to be stronger on pucks. It's not necessarily going in and being physical. It can be, you know, just being hard on your stick and winning a stick battle, 50, 50 puck battle, being there first, touching that puck first. Those are the things that, uh, you know, I was like, Oh, okay. That kind of made sense to me. And then I tried to add that into my game, uh, from there on. And, and it, it, I found that it did help me. It's a great segue because I was going to go to the Vegas Edmonton series next, but I, after what you said, it's a perfect segue into the Toronto Maple Leafs. What you just said, <laughs> really, really, it hits home everything that they are, everything you just talked about. Hard on pucks, hard on your stick, getting to that loose puck first, winning that one-on-one battle on the boards with that opponent for a loose puck to get the puck to get the possession. It's all the shit the Leafs are not doing right now. Uh, in this series against the Florida Panthers as they now trail 3-0. And when I look at it, especially, it goes without saying, you know, your core four players who have got 50% of the cap tied up in their salaries right now, Matthews, Marner, Nylander, and Tavares, for them not to have a single goal combined 
you know, in three games in this series is bitterly disappointing. And, you know, they weren't, they were very invisible. Like I say, my classic phrase, Jason, when uh, I think a player has a bad game, I say, I can't find them with a telescope uh, on the ice. And I felt that that's what we saw from Matthews and Marner and Nylander and Tavares in game three in particular, you know, in a game that their team basically had to have it. You don't want to go down three, nothing. We know it's only happened, what, four times in NHL history that a team has come back from three, nothing down in a series to win uh, in seven. And we just did not see that kind of, you know, that winning battles, puck management, winning battles, winning one-on-one situations, winning foot races, winning uh, battles along the boards, especially, which is really where Mitch Marner's had some issues. I mean, I think in that game three, he had like three or four turnovers just along the wall, you know, along the boards uh, in game three. And it's just, you know, and even in game two, what cost them that game after a great first period? Just awful turnovers and giveaways at your own blue line that you just cannot make. You know, trying to dangle yourself out of your own zone when you should be just getting that puck north or keeping it on your stick, showing composure and waiting for an outlet. You know, and unfortunately that didn't happen. And Toronto paid the price right there with those two egregious mistakes in game two. Florida ended up scoring on both of them and they ended up taking game two after that. But game three, it was just not enough. Not enough of an impact from any of those top players. And then I don't know what they were doing on the Reinhardt goal uh, in overtime, where it's just total breakdown in coverage. Reinhardt skates with, he's like got a free pass apparently through the neutral zone watching that play. It was unreal. I mean, he's just tap dancing his way into the zone with ease. Nobody lays a finger on him. He gets the puck around the net. Total lack of, uh, you know, defensive coverage by the two blue liners. Brody really had a tough moment there. Uh, on that goal. And of course, Reinhardt just allowed to walk right out from behind the net, wrap it around uh, and put it in past Joseph Wall, who I thought did everything he could to give the Leafs a chance. I thought that young goalie played well. And apparently we're hearing that he's going to start tomorrow night in this must win game four for Toronto. So I guess Ilya Samsonov just not ready after the injury he suffered uh, on Sunday, but it goes right to your point, Jason, what you said about winning puck battles. They're not doing it enough. And after a game like that, where the top players are so uh, lackluster, I'd like to hear a little, well, we sucked tonight. We weren't good. We kind of, you know, it was kind of an embarrassing effort at times, and we need to be a whole lot better. I didn't hear a single quote from anybody, Marner, Matthews, Nylander, anybody. It was just the same old shit, you know, the same old word speak uh, from a player where it's just, ah, the puck just didn't go in, didn't get any bounces, and puck's just not going in for us right now. We got to stick to our process. I want to see a little piss and vinegar after a game like that, especially when I think I know if I'm Austin or Mitch or Willie, or Tavares deep down inside, I I could play a whole lot better than that. And, you know, I'd like to show, see that anger, see that frustration and uh, use that as maybe fuel to galvanize the group going into a game four like that. And I didn't see it. And um, look, there's the, the, the guys want to win. You know, I don't doubt that for a second, um, but there's a way you have to play to win in the Stanley cup playoffs. It's not just making the fancy plays. It's not just the routine, you know, Shoot the puck and hope it goes in for you. You've got to be hard on pucks and win your battles. They're not doing enough of that, especially that big four. With all due respect to Sam Lafferty and uh, David Camp, uh, they can't be your best forwards. They can't. And and that's what it was on uh, Sunday night in uh, game three. And so where they go from here, I don't know. But uh, like I say, for these guys, yeah, you could be getting chance. And the, the shots are there. You know, they're getting some chances. But this isn't a participation ribbon that we give you guys. This isn't, you know, the shots, the, you win the shots on goal battle league, you win. This isn't the, you win your scoring chances battle, you win games. No, 
These guys are paid, Jason, to put the puck in the freaking net, okay? And they're not doing that right now, and a big part of it is they're not winning those tough battles. Yeah, you said it right where, you know, they're they're not winning enough battles, um, you know, 50-50 races, things like that. You know, you look at the goal uh, that was scored, like you said, Reinhardt's goal in overtime. Um, you know, he gets the puck in the neutral zone, takes it into their zone, comes back out. And I think there was probably, I think if I remember the replay, there was three Leafs right around him, kind of just sort of chips it in a little bit to an area where he can go get it, beats them to the puck, throws it in behind the net, you know, and this is kind of what you're told, throw it in deep, get it behind the goal line. And then once that happens, let's go east, west behind the net, and then something should open up in front of the net. You know, now, does it happen every time? No, it doesn't. But he throws the puck down low. It rims around to the other side. I uh, can't remember the player right now, but rims it in behind the net. And Reinhardt is going there. He knows that once I rim that puck, chances are it's coming back. And, you know, Brody loses a, a, a puck race and doesn't get there first and kind of gets on the wrong side of, of Reinhardt and Reinhardt's allowed to kind of walk out and wrap it and scores a goal. And like you say, I, I'm not blaming the goaltender on that. It's a tough play. Like you're, you're like, you're looking back and forth. Like, where's that puck going? Is, is it my guy that's getting that puck? Is it their guy getting the puck? And that's what I find that the, you know, when I'm watching too, that the Leafs aren't doing enough of, and you know, it's easy to sit there and say, you know, as, as fans, as we're watching the game and stuff, but um, you know, I think that they, you know, I definitely, every player in that room wants to win. Um, but it's gut check time and they, they've dug themselves a, a pretty big hole. And like you say, it's, it is, hasn't been done very often where a team goes down three, nothing, but the hardest game to win in a series is game four, because you know, you're going to get that team's best. And you know, it may be sound cliche, but if Toronto comes out and just wins one game, wins one, like, but don't think about winning the game. Think about winning your shift. Think about winning that battle, that first battle that you're involved in the game, win that battle. And, you know, now you got to see where if you continue to win those battles, then maybe it's a, a trickle down effect. You guys see it on the bench. We're winning battles tonight. And then all of a sudden you get some confidence. Then things could open up. You just don't know. But they do need to get pucks in deep. They need to get pucks on the goal line, put some pressure on Florida's defense, make them turn pucks over, finish some checks on them, um, you know, make them understand that this is a playoff series and this is going to be hard. We're not just going to, you know, lay down and let you guys have it. So, uh, you know, I don't count Toronto out, obviously. Um, but I think that, you know, unless they get some, like you said, from some of their key guys, you know, they, they have to find a way. Um, you know, every time I'm watching Nylander play, man, like he is so scary. He's one of the, I think he's one of the most scariest guys from the red line to the offensive zone. Like he's just going to make some skill happen. is immense on him. Yes, it is so skilled. Yeah. Yeah. And he's just, but then when I watch him from the red line back into his D zone, do I watch him back check hard and steal a puck off of a guy? I, I don't see that right where, you know, Pavel Datsuk, Henrik Zetterberg, if you got to step on them, if you if they turn the puck over at the blue line, they they're were, busting their tail back down the other way and saying, I'm making, I'm making up like, this. No, 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 no. That's my puck. <laughs> and yeah. they were stealing it back. You know, you look at a, a Braden point. There was a, a clip uh, not too long ago of him back checking on a power play. I think they were playing Columbus. 
there was a turnover and they were on the power play regular season game. And he absolutely flew back to the defensive zone and stole the puck from the guy just before the guy was going to get a really good scoring opportunity on the uh, uh, shorthanded. And you just don't see enough of that with the Toronto. Like, you know, I love the fact that Austin Matthews. Matthews has been okay at that. He's the one I'll give a little break to. Cause even in the yes. third period of game three on Sunday night, I'm seeing him backtrack and break up plays in the Florida offensive zone. He did it a couple of times. He I'll give him more of a pass with that. Cause I've yeah. seen him do it, but I'm talking about Mar Marner. Marner's been great all year. I don't think he's been doing it as much, but Nylander. Yes. He's the one that definitely you find it, it's very, very inconsistent and more uh, infrequent with him in terms of the, the 200 foot game. Right. Yes. I, I think that Matthews have kind he's really kind of come a long way in his 200 foot game. He blocks shots. Um, yes, he still makes mistakes down low and stuff like that, but like he's, his effort is, is pretty much there. If you look at the end of the game, like he's getting a ton of shots. They're just not going in right now. He's getting them from fairly good scoring areas as well. Um, but like, like you say, Mitch Marner, I would like to see him get to the middle of the ice a little bit more. Yeah. He is on the outside. He's making plays. He's such a smart player, but like, you've got to get to the middle of the ice. You've got to find a way to get yourself like into those dirty areas a little bit more. And, like there's times where he's doing it, but he's just not on a consistent basis, which, you know, wears teams down. It makes like, you know, he'll make a play. And are you beating your guy back to the net? Like, that defender has to now like, you know, Oh my God, like he made a play and he, now he's beating me back from that. Now he's like panicking and may open up something behind him. Right. By him just driving to the net. Um, but yeah, you, you just really don't see enough of it. If you're watching the game, you know, watch who comes out with the puck on 50, 50 puck battles, watch who touches the puck first. That's the one thing that I see, you know, when I'm watching the games is, Toronto's losing those races. Toronto's not coming out with the puck more than 50% of the time. If you're yeah. coming out with that puck less than 50% of the time, you're losing all those battles. They're doing a pretty good job on the face-off in the first couple of games that I saw. I didn't really see much of game three. Um, but like face-offs, they like they did very well against Tampa. They were, you know, I thought in the first couple of games they did pretty well against Florida when winning those face-offs, and that's a 50-50 battle. It's always been important. It's even more important today, the face-offs, just because of how explosive and how much firepower so many teams have. You just got to have the puck, and they don't. Yeah, and and that's one thing that, uh, you know, get that possession. And, and then if you're going to put it in an area to dump it in or something, whatever it is, put it in an area where you have a – a really good chance to get it back or they're going to turn the puck over because of your forecheck. Um, you know, and, and like these, like the Mitch Marner, the, the Nylanders, like those guys are very crafty players. And I just find that there's, there's something missing in their game right now. And, it, you know, they, they're, they're excellent players in the regular season, but it is, you know, playoffs is, it's a different, uh, you know, brand of hockey in a way. And I think that's what keeps it so exciting with, with the NHL is that, you know, you just get yourself in and anything can happen. And Florida has been, a, a, I think, a prime example of that and doing what they did with Boston, um, sticking to their game plan. You, we all know what their game plan is. Just get the puck below the goal line. Jeez, every analyst that I've ever, you know, watching, that's what they're all saying. And you watch the games and that's exactly what they're doing. But a guy like Tuchuk, 
man, like that guy, it like he's he's not flashy, he's not fun to really watch, but man, is he effective in the playoffs? Like he is so good at like you know getting a puck on or getting a stick on a puck or you know getting in on the four check and just finishing a check and and just you know understanding that that defenseman knows every time he makes a play he's getting hit and it's uh it's something that they've done better than Toronto um if Toronto can find a way to you know get a little bit better with winning those puck races and winning those battles they may be able to find themselves to creep back into the series but if they don't then yeah it's going to end in four yeah exactly and as far like for, for Austin Matthews and I've said this too I mean uh we're not paying him to be Frank J Selke you know, right. or yeah. award, nominated for the award. I like the defensive effort, but he's got to put it in the net, put the biscuit in the basket. They all do, and we'll see if they can do that starting Wednesday night. Uh, last night, there was only one game. It was Vegas-Edmonton, and it's been a series of bounce back and adjustments, really. Game one was a competitive game, back and forth. Vegas wins. Edmonton responds the way you would hope they would respond with a big 5-1 win. Vegas got in penalty trouble early in game two, and Anytime you do that against Edmonton, you're going to pay the price because it almost seems like that power play, Jason, it's one of the great all-time power plays I've seen in a single season where it's now at the point where, you know, a team takes a penalty against Edmonton. Oh, here's the, the goal's coming. It Just put a goal on the board right now. Uh, <laughs> they're going to score, uh, and that's the way it has been. Although, last night after the 5-1 loss to Edmonton on Saturday, what a bounce back from Vegas, who actually did shut down the power play when Edmonton got those few chances, but they also did a much better job staying out of the box, playing at five-on-five five even strength. But quite frankly, Jason, Vegas has been the better team so far uh, in this series at five-on-five five even strength. Now, I know McDavid, Dreisaitl, they get all the talk, and this Edmonton team and the firepower. I, th I don't think people talk enough about Vegas and the fact that they've got four great lines Barbashev, Eichel, Marcia, so Smith, Carlson, Amadio, Howden, Stevenson, Stone. Nicholas Waugh is a 16-goal scorer, 30-point guy on the fourth line for the Vegas Golden Knights. They're very balanced with their 12 forwards. Same thing with the blue line. They have Stanley Cup experience and winners. Alex Petrangelo, Alec Martinez, uh, Shea Theodore is a great defenseman. McNabb, you know, is very good in his own end. Hagen, White Cloud have really developed into good defensemen. And they play so well that it's allowed the two goalies, Laurent Brossois, who got injured, you know, someone you know well, he got injured last night. Aiden Hill takes over, and Aiden Hill looks great. And he's actually played well in the second half of the season, Aiden Hill, when he got starts for Vegas. So that was a big statement for Vegas, to take not only to take a 2-1 series lead, but if Edmonton and this star power of theirs and this firepower of theirs are going to win this series, they're going to have to earn it. Absolutely. Uh they've really relied on their power play a lot. Um, and obviously it's, it makes teams play, I think a little bit different. I think that you can't take that maybe, you know, that uh, extra couple steps to maybe finish a check the other time. Cause is, is it going to be called a penalty? Uh, when you have a power play that that lethal um, it's, it's pretty scary. And you just, you're, you're playing with fire if you're going to take penalties against them. And uh, they've had a very effective power play. They have so many different looks. The movement that they have on that power play is, is tremendous. And it's like they're all on the same page. As soon as they take something away, they know which, which play they're running. And they're, they're all, they all the know which play. doesn't stop doing. moving and the players don't stop moving. That's why it's a great power play. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's 
it's it's great to watch like it's so fun to sit there and see you know mcdavid kind of circling around and being like okay well they know they want to go to that one timer for dry saddle and once that play is taken away you know maybe they're looking into the middle for like a shot tip with nugent hopkins or they're planting hyman on the side to make the net a little bit bigger and they're going to shoot it off of him and it's going to go in if they take that stuff away they got uh uh the defenseman there um bouchard bouchard coming down the pipe blasting a 91 to 95 mile an hour slap shot like that kid man he's got a howitzer he can hammer that thing wow yeah and you know again a guy that's not like super gifted skating wise but he plays to his strengths, his his shot, and the fact that he has the confidence to be in like, okay, McDavid's flying around. That play didn't work. That play didn't work. Now, okay, if it gets to me, I'm blasting this. And it's like, good for you, kid, because he's he's a young player. Like he's he's not an older guy. And like, you know, if, if I'm back there, I'm sitting there. I need to get the puck to McDavid or Dry Saddle, and my job's done. <laughs> But he's not thinking that way. He's thinking, "Hey, I can I can contribute to this power play," and I think that's a, a you know a, a tribute to him and showing the confidence that he has in his ability and then his his reads to make those right plays. And you know, Woodcroft has done a great job, uh, you know, facilitating and and getting him out there on that first power play unit. And like I say, like this power play unit is has been great to watch. But like you say, Vegas did a great job, you know, staying out of the box and then finding a ways to take things away from them. I think they were a little bit more aggressive uh, on their PK the other night um, and just just having good sticks in lanes and deflecting pucks and and just getting a piece. Of, and, and, and Edmonton just didn't look like they had it. They didn't they didn't look like they were kind of playing on their toes like they did in game two on game two. They were just buzzing. They were flying around. Things were. You going find it sometimes them. a bad thing, and especially in a playoff series, when you not only win the previous game but you beat the team down like that, five-one, and it's almost like false sense of security. Oh, look, we it was such a comfortable win, and it's just going to be that you just men- mentally you don't have that same like we need to be on our toes and ready for this team when you're just beat the hell out of them the previous game. It's kind of like a mental thing. It is, and it's. I find that. Uh, you know, even in my experiences playing and and even coaching, as soon as we play a team and we blow them out in a playoff, say series or something, if we were to win five one, six one, six nothing, seven nothing, whatever it was, that next game, I don't know, it's 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 like human nature a little bit. You just see it's like, oh, you take your foot off the gas pedal a little bit, and it's like, uh, okay, I can ease myself into this game. Where the other team's like, hey, they embarrassed us. We, we got to make sure we're ready to go here. And they usually come out flying and, and control the play for especially the first five, 10 minutes of the game. So I'm expecting Edmonton to have a big pushback uh, in their next game. And, you know, Vegas did, uh, you know, capitalize on a couple bad breaks from Edmonton and capitalize on their chances and were able to you know, score a few goals. I think it's just going to add a little bit of confidence to them being like, hey, we can score against these guys, but we have to do it as a team and we have to do it the right way. If we don't do it the right way, they'll embarrass, embarrass us like they did in game two. Exactly. No doubt. Uh, I never imagined we would, before we even hit the two games tonight, it would be 80 minutes into the show, but how much time do you have, Jason? I got all the time in the world. Oh my gosh. Great. All right. We'll keep you around right till the end. All right, let's get into uh, tonight's games. we got two uh, East semifinal game four: Carolina hurricanes, New Jersey devils, uh, New Jersey minus minus one fifty home favorites here. Five and a half. The total. 
uh, in this one. And it's, it's another great segue. It's not planned. I didn't prepare it this way, but you were talking about the bounce back theory and a team. How do they play the next game after they blow out? They roll a team and New Jersey. I love New Jersey in game three, first period, especially. And I targeted the first period for my bet on that game. Jason minus a half at plus 170. It was a great price. It's just win the first period. New Jersey clearly did that. They were up three, nothing after the first period of game three. Just a very simple decision where it's a home team down 2 nothing. You know, they know they have to play better. We have evidence that after being down 2 nothing in the first round against the Rangers, the New Jersey Devils didn't give up. I, I, I like the adjustments Lindy Ruff, you know, my old head coach with my Buffalo Sabres many, many uh, years ago made. He puts a little more speed on the back end in the lineup in Luke Hughes who I know is just a young kid, the younger brother of Jack Hughes, but I think it made some difference. I think their transition game, getting the puck north-south was better, uh, certainly. And it's all started with, we talked about the Toronto, but best players not showing up. That was not the case for New Jersey. Their best players did show up. Timo Meyer gets the first goal. Jack Hughes with two goals. Uh, Nico Heeshear was fantastic. I mean, those are maybe three your three best forwards right there uh, on the New Jersey Devils, Jason. They all played a hell of a game. And they're a big reason why you got back into the series uh, with a game three victory uh, on Sunday afternoon. So will New Jersey keep it going? I have a series bet on New Jersey, which I took after game one because I was able to get a better price after Carolina took game one. So I and I obviously they're right back in it now, but this is still an equally important game for the New Jersey Devils. They don't want to go down three one going back to Carolina where, you know, the Hurricanes have been so good in the playoffs at home last year. Uh, and again, this year in that building in Raleigh, that being said, I'm a little worried about New Jersey here. Uh, not Plus the, the price they're laying minus 150 is that's pretty high considering this is a Carolina team that's not used to getting blown out and embarrassed defensively. This is one of the best Jason defensive teams in the NHL. They have been all year and they were just uncharacteristic turnovers and breakdowns defensively. New Jersey made them do that, but it's stuff you just shit you don't normally see with Carolina. Not to mention it wasn't Freddie Anderson uh, a good game for him. He got pulled. Uh, I'm pretty sure they're going to go back to Freddie tonight. I don't think they're going to make any sort of goaltending change right away uh, going into uh, tonight's game, uh, even though it was not a good game three from his standpoint. Uh, I'm just looking to see if we got – no, we don't have confirmations either way uh, for the goaltending. Uh, Vanacek and Anderson uh, are the uh, – uh, projected goalies for their respective teams tonight uh, in this game. But uh, I'll say this um, with the way these playoffs have transpired in recent games in particular, I just get that strong sense with it. The price we're getting with Carolina, I actually do kind of like them here. This has been a recent playoffs of the team that lost the previous game coming out firing the very next, especially teams that have lost in blowout fashion. You know, even Toronto did this. You know, after game one against Tampa in the first round, they came back and they blew out Tampa in game two. Look at Vegas, down five, lost 5-1 at home to Edmonton Saturday. What did they do last night? They put a 5-1 win of their own on the board uh, in game three, and they were ready to go. I mean, they did give up the first goal, but still, for that first period, you could tell they were uh, the better of the two teams. And uh, I th- and he said and Rod Brindamore said it was the worst game he's ever seen his team play, especially defensively. So I expect a response from Carolina tonight. I like them in the first period. Uh, Carolina her even though like kind of contradicting myself because I like New Jersey in the series but we're talking about individual situations here and I think this individual situation points to Carolina this is a team that's been pretty good at a, responding especially off a bad loss the stats bear that out too if you actually look 
Carolina is uh, 23 and nine in their last 32 games after a loss of three or more goals. So that tells you the blowout losses, three or more goals, the margin of defeat, 23 and nine for the Carolina Hurricanes in the very next game. So I think this does set up well for a strong start from Carolina. Uh, plus 125 with the first period money line. I like that. Maybe a little sprinkle on the full game, but I like the the first period look uh, even more. And as far as the total goes in this game, we've seen three games go over the total. There's been no adjustment in the total. It's still five and a half. This is one game where I think situationally this could be the first under of the series. Maybe your first 2-1, 3-1 game. Because I think Carolina is really going to button it up, tighten it up defensively after what we saw getting ripped for eight goals, eight Cobb on uh, Sunday. But, you know, I've been on the over in every game. It's still five and a half. There's been no adjustments. So I am back to the over tonight with this game, but with a hint of caution that with Carolina just getting embarrassed defensively, they're really going to want to tighten up tonight. If it loses, so be it. Because I, like I say, if I've had three overs in this series. If we lose one, so be it. But they've made no adjustment. I'm still in on the over five and a half here tonight in this one. Uh, Jason, what do you think transpires here? Game four, Canes, Devils. Yeah, like you said, I think it's uh, it's going to. I think Carolina is going to come out with a with a big push. Uh, I think if New Jersey can either match their intensity, um, you know, they just basically have to get through that first ten minutes of the game. Um, you know, maybe they can find a way to, to, you know, score a goal early. I think that would help New Jersey, but if Carolina scores that first goal, I think that gets them a little bit of confidence and they can maybe, you know, gain some confidence off of that and start rolling with it being like, Hey, today's a different day. And, uh, we're going to be different to handle today and stuff. But I think you're right. I think both coaching staff, like they'll, they're going to have their guys prepared, ready to go. And they all know that, you know, both teams are going to come out. I think swinging. And uh, I think the first team that kind of starts to try to push the envelope and try to maybe cheat for some offense or something like that. And then all of a sudden something can happen and, and they could find themselves down one, nothing or whatever. But um, you know, for New Jersey's a fast team. They're, they're quick. Uh, they're, they're, they're good at winning puck battles, like winning races to those pucks. I think if uh, you know, Carolina does a good job of, you know, kind of clogging up the neutral zone, giving their D some time to get back to pucks and, and break pucks out and not letting New Jersey come through freewheeling because some of those guys can just come through the neutral zone and just absolutely blow by you. Like they just have those, those players that can do that. Um, so slow them up in the neutral zone and then make them, you know, obviously make them defend uh, for Carolina to win tonight. They're going to have to put pucks into you know, areas they can get it back and, and make, I think New Jersey with the, some of the smaller forwards that they have, they can struggle down low at times. I think with, uh, you know, Carolina, you know, they're not a huge team, but they've got some, a, a couple bigger guys up front that can, you know, make it harder on some of their forwards and make it harder on some of their D. Yeah, I definitely uh, could see that uh, happening for sure. It's a, it's a very intriguing game because, I'm leaning more toward it's Carolina's spot here, especially early. They're going to answer the bell because that was just such an uncharacteristic defensive sieve of a game from them, which we just norm. When, when, have, like, honestly, go back and look. When's the last time Carolina's given up eight goals in a game? I can't remember uh, yeah. off the top of my head with that blue line. And that's a blue line, Jason, that there's no real true. Like, I, Jacob Slavin, you know, I think would get, you know, some 
outside maybe Vez, uh, Nor, uh, Norris Trophy um, votes. But other than that, you know, it's a blue line that's just great because they're one through six pretty deep. Slavin, Burns, Shea, Pesci, you know, even Gostaspare has found finally a team he's played well in because he has some defensive deficiencies, but even they've pulled better defensive play out of him uh, here in uh, Carolina and uh, Chatfield as well. So it's a, it's a solid blue line. The value's there. I mean, it's a plus price. I expect a good, uh, a, a strong first period after getting their ass whipped uh, in game three. So I can't fault the uh, Carolina look here. And that's why I'm going toward that uh, argument. The other counter argument is, well, New Jersey figured it out after the first two games in the Rangers series. Maybe they figured it out here as well. And they're going to roll the rest of the way. So, and, 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 you know, that, that home crowd, when they get that team, uh, when that team gets that crowd energized, they can be tough on you. So interesting to see how it goes here. I think as far as the prop market goes, I would target for New Jersey. Keep it to the guys that I trust to step up for them. It's Jack Hughes. It's Timo Meyer. It's Nico Heeshear. For shots on goal over props, I'm always interested. I would look in that direction. They have been shooting the puck. The shot attempts are there. You just have to hope they don't get blocked or they hit the post, which Matthews has done a lot in the Toronto series. Because remember, shots again on the, the hit the post or the crossbar, they don't count as a shot on goal. So when you're betting those shots on goal props, make sure uh, you're aware of that. I think the goal props, the the assist prop for Ishir continues to come through as well. Uh, and it's right around even money with that. So that's definitely a solid look. On the Carolina side, Aho, Burns, Jarvis, Natchez. I think if you're going to look at four guys that are going to be the guys that bring it tonight for Carolina, carry the team in a bounce back effort, it's those four. Aho. Uh, Natchez, uh, Jarvis, and of course, Brent Burns on the back end, who I, I like all four of those over shots and either a goal prop or a point prop uh, of some kind as well uh, in this game tonight. And this could be one of those nights too, where, you know, he finally didn't have a great game the other night. The whole team didn't, but don't sleep on Jesperi Kokanyemi, who has had a really nice series. He had an incredible game too. He's been making an impact offensively. He's one of those bargain bin options. You get a better price on it can look toward maybe him to uh, make an impact offensively here tonight for the uh, Hurricanes. And Dawson Mercer, too, for New Jersey because the point prop is starting to kick in with him uh, once again as well. All right, the second game here of this uh, Tuesday night doubleheader, and, of course, we'll be on our live betcast tonight during uh, the two games, so we're looking forward to that. So a reminder, it's 7 p.m. Eastern. If you want to join us live on the betcast tonight, uh, DM me at Bobano on Twitter or email Bobano350 at gmail.com. Uh, and we'll send you the link for the betcast tonight uh, before it starts. The second game is Dallas-Seattle. We've got Dallas minus 140, road favorites, five and a half the total. Seattle leading this series two to one. I mean, the dominant theme, Jason, that I've said, a lot of our guests have said, is just this team speed is Seattle. They're just really fast. Line one through four, I think the blue line's a little bit underrated because Adam Larson is playing like the guy we thought he would play like early in his career. Uh, Vince Dunn has been a breakout defenseman this year. For the Kraken, Oleksiak, Borgen, Susie, and Schultz. It's been a nice six they've got back there. But it's really the four-line wave that uh, Rick Tockett said it on the TNT panel the other night, and he was absolutely right. You know, you can't distinguish line one from line four for the Seattle Kraken. You really can't. I mean, they're all capable of making an impact. Beneers, Eberle uh, on the top line. Uh, Ty Cartier has stepped in and played well for the uh, Kraken. Schwartz, Gord, Bjorkstrand. And then you even get... Brandon Tanev and Ellie Tolvin, and who've played on the fourth line for Seattle, stepping up for them offensively. I mean, they have just got four lines they can roll out there and all, you know, win the battles, 
be on the offensive zone, win the four-check battles, and that's been impressive to witness. Uh, Dallas did not have a good Game 3, and I felt Game 3, Jason, turned when Miro Haskinen took that puck off the side of the face and left the game due to injury. And you talk about an impact injury. That blue line suffered big time without him uh, on Monday night. He's just everything for them. Defensively, power play, penalty kill, five on five, their best puck mover by far uh, on that Dallas blue line. And without him, it basically fell apart for Dallas not long after that. And they ended up getting blown out. This is kind of the way I feel about uh, the way, uh, Carolina, the way I feel here about Dallas. I think Dallas does respond. They've got a much better game in them. And from what I'm reading here, Peter DeBoer seems to think he might have Miro Haskinen back tonight, and he's avoided serious injury. He was on the ice uh, in morning skate, and he's a uh, game-time decision. They haven't ruled him in yet, but they expect him to be back, and that's huge because with all due respect to Esselindel uh, and everyone on the uh, Dallas blue line after uh, Haskinen, nobody can do the things Haskinen can do and, and do them well. You know, Yanni Hockenpah, not so much. Miller, Harley, Lindell, uh, Old Man Winter. Uh, Ryan Suter, I mean, none of those guys, you know, can basically do what Haskinen can do on the blue line. He's just that important. And he starts the offensive rush up the ice so well uh, that it's imperative, very important at the very least, that Miro Haskinen plays. And it looks like he's on the trajectory toward playing tonight in game four for Dallas. So, you know, Alex and I both kind of thought Seattle could win game three. They did. I think now's the time to go back to the Dallas side here. I think they show up big. And you talk about a bounce-back team and a bounce-back goalie specifically. That's Jake Ottinger. Uh, this kid is, I think, the real deal as far as goaltending is concerned. He didn't have his great best game. The whole team kind of crumbled after the Haskinen injury in Game 3. He got pulled. What, Scott Wedgwood finished that game. I think Jake Ottinger answers the bell. He's, what, 3-0 and in the playoffs off a loss so far uh, in the Stanley Cup playoffs. I think you see Dallas really respond in kind. And I'm going to go not only Dallas uh, money line minus 140, but I'm going to take them in the first period uh, as well tonight on the puck line. And you can get that at minus a half plus 175 uh, with the uh, Dallas Stars first period puck line. Uh, I like that quite a bit. Uh, you could even maybe j sprinkle on the Dallas team total first period too, which is another thing I've been looking to do with these teams, looking to bounce back after a bad game and start strong uh, in the first 20 minutes. And I'm going back to the well with this over as well. The over has cashed in all three games in this series and also every regular season game between Dallas and Seattle this year. I can't explain why that is, but it's just we've seen goals when these two teams meet each other, and I think we're probably going to see that again, uh, even with Ottinger playing better. You know, the total is still only five and a half, and it's kind of like the, the series we just talked about, New Jersey, Carolina, where, you know, uh, three overs, I've been on each of them in the series. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. If we lose one, finally, so be it but we're not deviating and we're going to go back to the well here over a five and a half here with uh, Dallas and Seattle. Uh, Jason, uh, what do you think here of game four with the uh, stars and the Kraken? Uh, the stars, obviously very important for them trying to avoid a three, one deficit. Yeah. I think like you said, uh, you're going to see a good response from Dallas. Uh, you know, Dallas's power play has been very good in this, uh, you know, playoff so far. Uh, but you know, the thing with Seattle is they are fast and they're, like you said, the the one through four in their forward group, it's hard to distinguish, like, you know, who's their, you know, first line, let's say. Uh, and, you know, to be able to put out three lines or four lines um, and, and not have a, to worry about matchups so much, that's that's a coach's dream. 
and you know you just kind of roll with your lines and then obviously you have your special teams where you got guys filling in here and there but when you can have a team where you can roll four lines and you have the confidence in, a, in all four lines to play for a long series for a long playoff run it's going to pay huge dividends at the end so um you know with dallas i think that they are going to have to get off to a good start um obviously on the back end if, if they don't have niskanen in, then it's it's going to be a, a an uphill battle but you know they have the the i think they have the core group of guys in that room that have been through a lot of experiences uh, that will be able to kind of help prepare them for tonight's game. Um, and, you know, I, I do I do see them winning tonight. I, I feel that they uh, will get themselves back into this series. The only thing that does scare me about uh, this series is the Seattle's speed. You watch that uh, first series with Seattle and, and Colorado. That was like like it was like a track meet. It was insane how fast that hockey was. Like you'd, I was watching some of those games and then go watch a couple other games. It was like slow-mo. I, I couldn't believe how fast it was. And they just play at a pace that is hard to slow down. And it's just, you, you got to get some of the Dallas, they're going to have to get some of their bigger bodies to get in front of these guys and, and try to slow them down. They're not the biggest up front, but they're quick. And they get to hard areas, and they and they win those battles or battles. So, you know, it's it's going to be a good game. Uh, but like I say, I think I do see Dallas kind of coming out on the on the right side of things tonight. Yeah, I do. I th I think it's a, a good. Dallas has been a great team in a response type of mode throughout the uh, playoffs as well. Uh, again, they have uh, yet to lose back to back here in the postseason. And uh, like I say, Jake Ottinger. There's so many goalies off the top of my head. Hellebuck, Tamsonov for Toronto this year in these spots. But not only a bad game, but getting pulled in the previous game. Look out for the next game. Uh, you often see them uh, bring their absolute best. So that would not uh, surprise me uh, one a bit here tonight in this game. As far as the prop market goes, I think for Dallas, I'm focusing on Hints, Sagan, Ben, Pavelski. Those four guys. Shots on goal, to score a goal, point props, you name it. Those are the four I'm looking at more than anything else. I probably can't help myself, though, because I, I just so much like what I see from Wyatt Johnston, the rookie, and Mason Marchment, and they give the Dallas Stars a little bit more punch in terms of depth offensively. That I might you know, put a few bucks on the uh, goal props for them, which are up in that plus 350 to plus 400 price. And then on the Seattle side, I mean, Vince Dunn is starting to rat ratchet it up again as far as the points. He's on a point streak. I think Vince Dunn to get a point. Eberly to score a goal. He's been big for them lately. Uh, and then, of course, down the lineup. Don't sleep on Yanni Gord, too. You know, he's the kind of playoff player that can make an impact. He's just in your face all the time. He irritates the fuck out of you <laughs> as an opposing player. Uh, there's always those kind of players, and he's that for the uh, Seattle Kraken, just like he was when he was with Tampa Bay uh, yeah. before that. So, yeah, Yanni Gord's been making an impact. So goal prop and a point prop for him. Uh, I wouldn't mind that either. Uh, same and Ellie Tolvin and found the back of the net last game as well for Seattle. He can be streaky, and usually those players that you know they score after they've been quiet for a few games. Sometimes the goals flow in bunches, 
you know, for those streaky scores. So maybe look out for uh, Ellie Tolvanen here uh, as far as uh, Seattle goes uh, in this uh, game tonight. Uh, all right, uh, great stuff. Uh, we are fine. This uh, a little longer than I expected, 90 minutes, but it was great. I mean, getting into the uh, nuts and bolts of the uh, career of Jason Williams was certainly uh, fantastic, and we certainly appreciate his time and him joining us here uh, on this uh, Tuesday edition of the Ice Guys. Uh, and shout out to everyone watching. Uh, hit the like button if you're watching on YouTube, and shout out to our podcast listeners as well. Uh, we will be back to uh, wrap up the show with uh, best bets, and we'll uh, have final thoughts to wrap things up in just a moment right after we hear from our great sponsors, Gramco and Manscaped. Support for the Ice Gas is brought to you by Gramco. Whether you or your team's game is on the field, screen, racetrack, court, or the ice, Gramco is for the game. Grown by farmers who spent years developing premium hemp genetics, Gramco provides customers with consistent quality Delta 8 THC products ready for any occasion. Gramco currently offers numerous Delta 8 products, including vape cartridges, disposable vapes, pre-rolls, gummies, wake-and-bake coffee, and more. Gramco offers an enjoyable, legal high delivered discreetly and directly to you. Gramco is also available at many American retailers as well. You can get the best Delta cannabis products on the market shipped quickly and discreetly from Gramco. And if you visit www.thegramco.com, use promo code ICEGUYS, you will get 20% off of every order. And any order that's on the site over $50 will be shipped free with standard shipping. So live elevated with Gramco and check out their wonderful Delta 8 products today. Support for the Ice Guys is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Their products are precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped's performance package, the ultimate men's hygiene bundle. Join over 7 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the promo code ICEGUYS. That's promo code I-C-E-G-U-Y-S at manscaped.com. If my math is correct, it's about 14 million balls that you can preserve. The Performance Package 4.0 is the complete accessory package to take care of everything that is required. You've got, of course, the Lawnmower 4.0 takes care of your facial hair uh, and among other things. Uh, you've got, of course, the Weed Whacker. I'm approaching 40. Nose hair has become a major issue. It pisses the hell out of me. I need to take care of that shit, and the Weed Whacker can help you do that. Both of these products, waterproof and a 4,000K LED spotlight for a more precise shave. And you'll also be able to take care of those delicate areas with the ball toner, with the ball deodorant. Keep you smelling good, looking good, and feeling good down in the nether regions. This complete performance package 4.0 will take care of everything for you, for all you guys out there. And it's courtesy of our good friends at Manscaped.com. So get 20% off and free shipping with the promo code ICEGUYS at Manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at Manscaped.com. And use promo code ICEGUYS. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. All right, we are back and we are ready to wrap things up uh, with our special guest, Jason Williams. Um, your most confident prediction tonight, Jason, what would it be if you had to have one? Uh, 
Uh, am I? You both kind of like Carolina and Dallas. It seems like. Which one do you feel better about? <laughs> yeah, I think I think I'm gonna go with. Uh, I think I'm gonna go with Dallas. I'm with you. I feel better about Dallas too. I mean, Carolina is, that's a good, young, skilled, fast team. And maybe they cracked the code, New Jersey uh, on in game three, and they're ready to carry it over here into at home tonight. But still, I mean, when you lose like that and Carolina is not used to losing like that, and I'm sure it's really angering to them that they lost like that on Sunday. I do expect a big pushback and a big response from the hurricanes. Uh, here tonight in game four, but I'm with you as well. My best bet's going to be Dallas. Uh, I'm just going to go minus 140 uh, here on the uh, money line, uh, although I do like that first period look as well. You know what? I'm going to go with both of them because we'll go with both of those looks for best bets. So uh, split it up because that's what I've done. Half on the Dallas minus a half plus 170 first period puck line and then half on the Dallas minus 140 for the full game money line as well. I do think they tie up this series tonight at two games apiece. And Jake Ottinger, the king of bouncing back uh, as a goaltender, I think he does so uh, once again tonight. Uh, Jason, this was awesome. Great stuff. I hope you had fun. Most of our guests do. Uh, Thanks for joining us. I hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, no, I appreciate you having me on. And uh, like you said, it was a lot of fun. Absolutely. And we thank everyone for joining us. We got the BetCast tonight. Make sure you join us for that. And make sure, of course, if you can't watch the Ice Guys show live, that you download the Ice Guys podcast in audio form on all major podcast platforms. For our special guest, Jason Williams, I'm Ian Cameron. Have a great Tuesday. We'll see you tonight for the BetCast, 7 p.m. Eastern, right here the Ice Guys, presented by National Hockey Now. (laughs) 